from St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, good morning, friends. I wonder how many of you thought when you heard that tune, we were going to skip the sermon and go right to the offertory. Well, here's the thing. You know, they, there's an old saying that all good things have to come to an end. And so it's with a bit of a heavy heart that we're going to conclude our ongoing sermon series from Genesis. Is this really loud? Okay. Because we are, the Old Testament lesson is moving into Exodus. And so, quite honestly, I'm just kind of tired of preaching it. <laughs> Genesis is great. I mean, the historical narratives of the Old Testament are awesome. They are, I hope you've learned, full of people who are just like you and me, which is the whole point, right? These are real people in Scripture. Uh, but quite honestly, friends, I'm just, we're going to move on to something different. But I will say this. If you were piqued by this series, and I hope you were, uh, you're, you're still in luck because about a year ago, we did the E100. I taught the E100, and we went through all of Exodus. You can check it out on the website, the whole book. It goes through uh, bits and pieces of it. If you go to the website under Programs E100, click on it, bam, it's a video, and you can check that out and continue on with our texts, which proceed, as you saw, into the coming of uh, Moses in Egypt. But we're not going to talk about that today. Instead, we're going to look at St. Paul's epistle to the Romans because he answers actually a really big question. It's actually probably the biggest question you've ever asked yourself. And, you know, here it is. What's the meaning of life? Do you ever wonder that? What's the purpose of life? Um, and it's funny because it almost sounds like a, uh, a fool's errand, doesn't it? It's like almost like a, something, a question you can't answer. I think our culture, we've become so confused by the Enlightenment, so confused by being divorced from biblical teaching, so confused by what everybody else says is the meaning of life, that to even ask the question, what is the meaning of life, sounds like something unanswerable, a fool's errand. Meaning of life, yeah, yeah. How about a drink, <laughs> right? What well, it is, but, but that's actually, there's an answer, and it's actually crystal clear scripturally anyway, if you put aside all the other noise and look at what does the Bible say, it tells us, and Paul actually dials in on that today, on the meaning of life, the, really the purpose of life. Why are you here? It's all the same question. So three things today I want to talk about from Paul's epistle to the Romans, which is just jam-packed with stuff. Um, three things, the call to be a living sacrifice, how to be a living sacrifice, and then finally, What's the end game? What is, in fact, the meaning of life? So three points. It's all the same. Three points in the same answer, right? What is, what is a living sacrifice? So that what is a call? What is our call to be a living sacrifice? How do we do it? And then how does that show us the purpose and meaning of life? So you ready? And we're going to cover the meaning of life in 20 minutes or less. I've got a new clock right there so I can time myself. Anyhow, the call to be a living sacrifice. You know, I think... It might sound strange to you that life isn't about personal fulfillment or happiness or even peace. But the meaning of life, according to Paul, and I'm going to dial in on this this morning, the meaning of life is a call to be a living, a living sacrifice. Ow! That doesn't sound good at all, does it? Does it sound good to you, a living sacrifice? I mean, it sounds a little harsh to me. I mean, what in the world does that even mean? Well, let me give you a little bit of background. If you look at the Epistle of Romans, which is very dense and beautifully written in the Greek, Paul has got a keen, keen mind. 
But if you, look, if you know the book of Romans, it's basically high level. It's divided into two pieces. And the first part is chapters 1 through 11, where he goes through and builds his case. Paul's a lawyer, right? And a very fine one. And he builds his case in chapters 1 through 11 that goes something like this very quickly. That, that you and I are sinners, right? We are separated from God, and left to our own, we are destined for hell. I'm just going to be blunt. No point in dancing around it. Except that Jesus Christ, here's the thing, Jesus Christ came to earth to die on the cross for my sins and for yours and to offer us the free gift of restoration to the Father, to pay our debt in our place. My, one, somebody once said, to punch our ticket. I love that. I don't know why, but I do. And, and it goes something like this, that therefore, if Jesus is death on the cross in our place, right, his payment for my sins, which are legion, and yours, which might not be as legion, <laughs> but therefore, because, because Jesus makes us worthy to stand before God, before God justified and saved, not by what we do, but by what he did on the cross, if that's true, it's the heart of the gospel, right? It's the good news. If that's true, Paul says, then what do you do? We call this salvation by grace, and grace is not just a 14-year-old girl with curly blonde hair who lives in my home. Uh, salvation by grace means that this, this word grace, what does that even mean? It's, it's the Greek word charis, and it's an important word. It's a critically important word. Because to be saved by grace means that you are saved by this charis, this, this gift that God gives to you which you neither deserve or earned, me either. But that he, by his grace, his mercy, his love for you, his desire to save you, offers that to you. Take it or leave it. The choice is yours. But the gift stands. That's at a high level, and I'm simplifying, but that's pretty much the gist. That is Paul's first 11 chapters of Romans, his diagnosis of the problem, mine and yours, all humanities. And then in chapter 12, look at it again if you want, uh, in chapter 12, where we just start today, chapters 12 verses 1 and following, he offers the solution, the conclusion. If Christ saved you by grace, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the this is his answer, it's right there. If that's true, that Christ died on the cross to save you, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, it's a conclusion of an argument, by the mercies of God to present your bodies, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do you see his logic? It's purely, it's right there, man. But in other words, if, if Jesus died for you, if he saved you, Christians, then for God's sake, you have to respond. I appeal to you. Therefore, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So what does that mean? Well, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, it's a strange thing to require, isn't it? Just last week I was talking to somebody from this parish, actually, who's been following, who was following the Genesis stories and actually got so intrigued by it that she launched into reading the Bible on her own, which is really cool. And so she got to, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then she got to Leviticus, right? And Leviticus is where most people crash and burn. Because Leviticus is a strange book, and it goes, Leviticus is a, is a manual for Levitical priests, the guys that would sacrifice animals in the temple. And so it's kind of a, 
It's kind of a, not dense read, but it's, just, it's so foreign to us. But so she was going through Leviticus, and she said to me, you know, she said, it's very strange. She said, it's very strange, this Leviticus book. I said, yes, it is. She said, because it looks like every time you turn around, you're killing something. You're killing a lamb, you're killing a goat, you're killing a bird, you're killing a turtle dove. What's the deal? What's the deal with this whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament? Does God just, is he like, God does bloodlust or something? Well, no. In fact, if you look in the Psalms, the psalmist says, do you think that I eat the blood of goats or drink the blood? God's like, no, 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 you got it all wrong. The sacrificial system, listen, this is important. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament works like this. You see, animals are our currency. Animals are a medium of exchange in an agrarian culture, right? So to sacrifice something, whether it's a goat or a, well, it wouldn't be a pig, but a goat or a, a, a bird or whatever you're taking that thing and you're killing it you are you are you are giving it away it's just listen to my point is this you'll you'll make the connection in a second to sacrifice something listen is costly and so paul writes that our job as christians is not to offer goats and doves and bulls and all that stuff but yourself a living sacrifice. How many of you are familiar with the hymn Amazing Grace? Right? Anybody hear that before? Man, that's a barn burner. Everybody loves Amazing Grace, man. If you get them on the right day, you'll see people swaying back and forth in the pews. People love the hymn Amazing Grace. You know why? Because they never read the words. You ever read the words to Amazing Grace? It's harsh. It's joyful. If you don't know, Amazing Grace was written by a guy named John Newton. John Newton, who was a racist and a slave trader. John Newton was a man. He was a dirtbag. He was a despicable human being. John Newton sold people for cash, which I don't care who you are. That's just bad, then or now. Can we all agree on that anyway? John Newton was a slave trader, a despicable human being, a dirtbag until he met Jesus. And he later on, here's the, here's the, I take comfort in this, later on, he became an Anglican priest, which is even more astounding. He was converted to Christianity, Newton was, because he be realized he was a filthy animal who could not save himself. He realized the incredible indebtedness of what he had done, and he wrote the following words, which you've sung probably a thousand times, but listen to it again. Amazing grace, there's that word, unmerited gift. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a wretch like me. What's a wretch? A wretch is a evil, wicked, good-for-nothing, bad dude. And now Newton, after he meets Jesus, he says, amazing grace, this gift that Christ offers me. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I once was blind. But now I see. The point I want you to see here is that Newton, John Newton, met Jesus. He was converted, and his life became a living sacrifice, didn't it? He became a priest. He preached the evils of slave trading. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever notice that growth in any part of your life requires death? It sounds weird, but stay with me. That growth in anything in your life or mine requires something to die. I'll get to this more in a minute. 
But say you want to give up something, right? You want to change something in your life. You know, you want to give up slave trading. Anybody give up slave trading? Okay, good. Maybe, you, maybe something a little more close to home. You want to be more patient with your children. You want to be uh, more patient with your wife. You want to be kinder to that coworker that drives you crazy or that golf partner that you just can't stand. You know, for you to become, to, for you to change, for you to become better, more patient, more kind, more compassionate, the old you, the old man, they used to say, not politically correct, the old, you know what I mean, the old you has to, in one sense, die, right? The old man must die and, so that the new man may live. So to be a living sacrifice, again, kind of playing off this Old Testament theme, remember Paul's a Jew, so this whole sac- sacrificial system to him was very salient. To be a living sacrifice, that means that the old part of you, the faithless, jealous, impatient, envious, self-centered you, you and me, must die so that the new man, the new woman, the new person may emerge and live. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. Like John Newton, who gave up trading slaves to become a Christian and become a priest. The old you must die. The old you, so that the new you may live. So here's a question. Now that I've explained all this language, it makes sense, I hope. Are you, is your life, are you a living sacrifice? Are you? Here's the thing. If you really believe that Jesus died on the cross to save you from hell, my God, that's got to change absolutely everything. If you really believe that, if you don't believe it, then don't be surprised you're not changed. But if you do believe it, it's got to change everything. Because your life is no longer about you, but about the grace that Jesus who's working in, on, and through you by his amazing grace. So we are called friends. When we become Christians, Paul's not writing to everybody here. He's writing to the church. I appeal to you, brethren, which means church, to be a living sacrifice. Then point number two, then how do we do it? Well, How do you become a living sacrifice? One commentator wrote, I think this is a great quote, there is no greater incentive to holy living than the contemplation of the mercies of God. Isn't that awesome? There is no greater incentive to holy living than to contemplate the mercies of God. See, once you get the idea in your marrow that Jesus Christ died to save you, when that sinks into your bones... It will produce in you a person who wants to live differently. Let me give you an example. I did say at the beginning of the sermon, I wasn't going to talk about the Old Testament anymore. I lied. No, I am a sinner. <laughs> I exaggerated. I, I actually wanted to make a point. If you remember in the Old Testament lesson this morning, you remember last week we talked about Joseph, right? Joseph going to Egypt because his brothers sold him there, and then he confronts them and he says, guys, don't worry about it. You know, you, what you did was wrong and mean and evil and sinful, but God had a bigger plan, right? Remember that from last week? And then actually what happens is we roll ahead now 300 years. The Jews, you know, Joseph and his brothers are all dead, and, every, and their descendants live in Egypt, and they just, they, they thrive and they flourish, and there are, there's thousands of them. You can't swing a cat without hitting a Jew in Egypt back then. And so Pharaoh orders a pogrom to kill all these male children, to teach those Jews a lesson and basically to extinguish them, right? A little social, uh, what do you call that? Uh, get engineering. But there's two Hebrew midwives. Look at, look at it again. Two Hebrew midwives, two women that delivered children that are Hebrews. Shipra and Puah. 
And, Hebrew, and Pharaoh says, when, you, when that kid's born, I want you to wait for the... I want you to wait for the delivery. When that kid comes, I want you to throw him into the river and kill him. They didn't do it. Shipra and Pua, go back and read it again. Shipra and Pua, they, they don't. They don't, they refuse. They say, all these Hebrew women, they have these children before we can get to them, which is a lie. But listen, it says in here why, why these two women risked their lives for another. Verse 17 in our Old Testament lesson. The midwives feared God. And did not do as Pharaoh commanded. Know why? Shipra and Pua lived lives that were living sacrifices. So how are you a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice is somebody, friends, who puts God first. Who does his will even when it's costly, which it will be. And Paul says that these, living peop- these people that are living sacrifices that you and I are called to are not conformed to this, this world, but are transformed, changed. The word is metamorphosized in Greek by the renewing of your mind. If your Christian faith isn't changing you, then your faith is dead. And you are still in your sins and your faith is in vain. Right out of James. You know, right now, we were, had a vestry meeting last week and... Um, it was a short one. I think it was a record, 26 minutes or something. I don't remember what it was, but it was a short one. I don't like long meetings, as nobody does. And the question came up in the vestry meeting, hey, Father, you know, the numbers are down from the pandemic. What, what's going on here? And we had a conversation about it, a brief one. And I said, you know, I, I do understand people that are, that are high risk or are fearful of the virus. I mean, I get all that, and we've talked about this a hundred times. But, you know, the question arises in my mind as a pastor and as a priest who is accountable for you to him, I wonder if there's something else not going on here. My fear, and actually the vestry brought it up, I didn't even bring it up, is that maybe this whole pandemic thing is becoming a bit of an excuse, right? Putting something else ahead of being here. Chores around the house, you know, sleeping in on Sunday, whatever, man, I don't know. But the minute you put something else in front of God, you are putting something else in front of God. Friends, a living sacrifice puts God first, period. Not cleaning the house, not sleeping in, not watching just, you know, not just watching, I don't know, whatever. We are called to be a living sacrifice and to live differently. Putting God first. So, final point is then, if that's true, a living sacrifice is somebody who lives for God and puts him first, then how is this point number three, I'll wrap up, how does that tie into this big question of the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? Is there a meaning at all? Is there a point? Well... I'm going to put you into another book in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, which is a wonderful, wonderful book. It's about a guy who asks himself the question, what's the point of all this? What's the point of it all? His name is Koholeth. And Koholeth sets out on the program to figure out the meaning of life, to find the answer to the question, what is the point? Is there a point? And he starts with what most people start with, right? Money, sex, and power. Those are the biggies, right? It's awfully attractive. And he goes after money, sex, and power. And he does all these things, and he says there is a thrill in the chase for all these things. And there is, right? There's a thrill in the chase. He says, but once, you've actually, once you actually get them, the excitement falls away. And he has this, this wonderful image, which you've heard before. He says, vanity of vanity. All is vanity, and it's chasing after the wind. Do you ever notice you can never catch the wind? Right? And so his point is, no matter how hard I try, man, there's a lot of appeal in that, in, that, in, that, in that looking for something. The excitement is there. The thrill is there. But then once you get it, man, you're like, that's it? 
And then finally, Ecclesiastes, at the end of the book, after he's gone through money, sex, power, knowledge, influence, everything you can think of, right? Desperate and exhausted, this character comes in from the sidelines, who's a prophet, and he says this. He says, uh, Koholith, here, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, if you want to write it down. Koholith, here's the deal. He doesn't say that. He says, here is the end of the matter. Here's it. Here it is. You want to know the meaning of life? Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments, for such is the whole duty of man. Or as Paul would say, be a living sacrifice. Fear God, put him first, and keep his commandments, do what he says, for such is the whole duty of man. So the meaning of life isn't acquisitions or property, it's not knowledge. The meaning of life is to fear God, which means you put him first. You know, to fear something biblically means it takes your attention. It's like you're driving down the road and somebody pulls out in front of you. You know, it's got your attention. That's what it means. To fear God means he's got your attention, he's your center, he's your goal, he's your everything. And do what he says, right? For such is the whole duty of man. It's entirely Paul's point. And ironically, here's the, the crazy thing, is that once you actually put God first, make him your priority, and do what he says... It actually brings you the things you were looking for all along. Peace and joy that passes all understanding. So friends, I'm going to challenge you this morning. Let me challenge you today to consider your life as a living sacrifice. To put away some aspect of the old man, the old you, and do what God is calling you. To live as a living sacrifice. It's the secret of life, which frankly, is no secret at all, but it will cost you. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word which afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. Help us to be living sacrifices for whom Jesus died. Help us to be the men and women whose lives are completely devoted to you and, and, and be not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds set on your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Mm-hmm.